welcome to State Lobbying Heroes Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the careers and personal life stories of some of the best and the brightest state government relations experts. I'm your host, Deepak, CEO of Legistracker. This next episode is with Kenny Hasty, a legal counsel at the South Carolina Association of Justice. Now, before I brief you about Kenny's profile, I have an announcement. Starting with this episode, I'm doing a fun, rapid fire of questions with my guests at the end of our conversations. Hope you enjoy it. Kenny Hesty is a native of Columbia, South Carolina, but was actually born in Augusta, Georgia. During childhood, his dad was in the army and they moved around every three years. His dad joined the law school as a second career right when Kenny was going into high school in Columbia, South Carolina. Kenny wanted to follow the footsteps of his role model, his father, and eventually got his law degree from the University of South Carolina. His mom's sister was a community organizer and was actively involved in policy making, and Kenny used to visit her office. Now, was that the reason why Kenny chose to become a lobbyist? We delve into the personal story of Kenny Hasty. Hey, Kenny, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Kenny, I'm having these conversations with lobbyists primarily so that you guys can enlighten anyone or any student who may be thinking about getting into this field. So my questions would be tailored around that specific area. Great. So let's get started. Can you give us an idea? Where were you born and how was your childhood like? What was your schooling like? So I was born in Augusta, Georgia, and I am a army brat. So my dad was in the army my entire life during my formative years. So we, every three years we moved around someplace new. So don't have any place I, I, I call home. But uh, he retired when I was about in eighth grade. And my dad is from Sumter, South Carolina, and my mom is from Spartanburg, South Carolina. So when my dad was looking at getting out of the army, they decided on Columbia. And so we moved to Columbia when I was in eighth grade, and I've been here ever since. I went to high school in Columbia, then uh, I went to college. I did one year at Duke University, then transferred to Walker College, which is a school in upstate South Carolina. And then from there, I went to the University of South Carolina School of Law. So. Okay. It was an experience, but a good one. So what made you get interested in law? Well, so I grew up around politics. My mom's oldest sister served in the state house for 13 years. And then, like I said, when my, my, I was in eighth grade when my father got out of the military when he retired. And after that, he decided he was going to go to law school. So it just so happened that I'm entering in high school, ninth grade, and my dad is entering in law school as his second career. So I got to kind of we were kind of doing the same thing, right? Like I was studying in high school and he was studying in law school. And so it was, it was interesting to me to, uh, to watch him go through that process. And so that's, that's what sparked my interest in law, in the law, which is watching him go through the process and, and seeing the aftermath of that. Like, you know, he had a successful legal career after that and just kind of watching that. We were both kind of in our formative years of uh, study at that point. And it was, it was, so it was just, it was unique to see. And, it, and that's definitely what sparked my interest. Interesting. And what, what kind of area was he in and what kind of area did you go to school in? Is it like the same? He started out as a corporate law, corporate lawyer. So he worked for Scanner Corporation, which is now defunct, but it was, it was the only Fortune 500 company in South Carolina. And so he was 
on their legal team for 10 or 12 years. And then when he finished with that, he now has his own practice in Sumter, South Carolina. Well, I knew from my experience, I did not want to do corporate law. And so, uh, like I said, I kind of grew up around politics. So when I was in law school, I would actually tell people when they ask, you know, what do you want to do when you get out? I would always say, I want to be a lobbyist without having no real idea what that meant, right? It was just, I thought it was a fun job to say, and not a lot of people were saying it in law school. So it's what I told people and it just so happened I ended up doing it, so. That's interesting. So how, how did you, I mean, what made you feel that you wanted to be a lobbyist, right? Because I've never heard this when I've done these interviews in the past. Most of the people who have gone to law school, they were, they were clueless as to, you know, after they passed, they didn't know whether they want to get into lobbying or like practice law. So how did you feel that you wanted to be a lobbyist? So another interesting part of my life was that when we moved to Columbia, like I said, my mom's sister was at the state house work. She was in, she was in, in the house of representatives. And so she would stay with us in Columbia when she was up here passing laws. And so I got to go to her office and go to her desk and see kind of see the process. And it was, it's funny to see like your aunt, somebody you grew up with since you were a kid and you have this close personal relationship with, but her office, you know, she wielded a certain position of power and then people coming to her and asking her for things. And she would kind of tell me, okay, this person represents you know, this association or this group of people and this, these are the laws they're trying to change and here's why. And so I got to have some good conversations with her about the way the process works and how you can help people and the ups and downs of it, right? Like, cause you know, you don't always get your way and things don't always go as far as you want them to. But uh, it was, so it was a good kind of inside baseball lesson on how, on governing and government. So that was my first exposure to lobbying, which is sitting at her desk while other lobbyists at the time came to her and asked her for her support or her opposition to different bills. Got it. So was she a lobbyist too? No, she was, she was actually a community organizer in Spartanburg. So she was, she was a member of the NCAACP. She was a member of the League of Women Voters. She helped organize, she's from the South side of Spartanburg. She helped organize her community to kind of fight for improvements for it. So she was just really an activist at her core and she, decided to run for the state house and she was the first black woman to hold a seat this was back in you know the early to mid 90s and so she was just a groundbreaking woman and still is so it was just fun to watch so looking back now that you've got a law degree can you tell is there any specific course which you felt was useful for you in your lobbying career? I, if they offer a course in kind of government and if they offer a specific a course to kind of maybe go, if you go to your state house and kind of see the process, I would, I would take that. But other than that, no, because lobbying is such a different occupation. Like you never know what the next day is going to bring because you're dealing with people, you're dealing with representatives who, who have constituents, right? Who, who not only have their opinions about whether or not you're, bill is good or bad, but they also have to take in consideration the thousands of people they represent and how they might feel about if your bill is good or bad. So there's no specific law school course that can teach you that. That is always going to be about relationships and being able to talk to people and being personable and believing in what you're doing. Right? Those, those are keys, I think, to success in this field. So looking back, would you, if you had to like, if you had a choice, would you still go back and get a law degree? Yes, I would. Although it was probably three of the hardest years of my life, I would, the thing I like about having a law degree is its flexibility, right? Like I can be a lobbyist 
today and for the next five years. But if at some point I decide, you know what, this isn't for me anymore, I can still go work with my dad and be a lawyer, right? Go into a courtroom. I still have, I still have that flexibility. So I do like that about law school. And I think law school also helps you understand how to make an argument. Right? That's another, like, I have to persuade people as well. And I think law school helps you recognize what your opponent's going to say, to be able to anticipate that, to be able to counter that, and to be able to know where your arguments are strong and weak so you can accent the strengths and kind of hide the weaknesses. So that has been helpful from law school. So would you say if someone who's listening to this and they want to get into the field of lobbying, what would be the first step they should be taking? First step, I would say, would be go to your state house and observe the process. Sit in the gallery of your house, sit in the gallery of the Senate, see how the place is run. Get a feel for the rules. The best advice, one of the first pieces of advice and the best, and some of the best advice I got was, I played, you can't tell because I'm sitting down, but I'm tall, I played basketball in college. And so I remember a, uh, there was something going on. There was a legislation, there were some rules changes that happened and that affected the way the legislation was moving in the process. And, I, and at the time, because I was new, I didn't really understand. And I had to go to a legislator, legislator and say, explain this to me. And his advice to me was, First thing you do, no matter what you're doing, is always read the rules. And he, I remember he said to me, you wouldn't step on a basketball court without knowing the rules of the game. So why would you come up here without knowing the rules of the process? And so that was the best advice I ever got. And so I took time and I sat in the gallery and it's, it's not fun. It's very boring, right? And I, but I learned how a bill becomes a law. I learned the process and you have to go and read the rules, each body, because they both have their own individual rules and the rules are arcane and they don't make any sense, but they're the rules. And uh, you read them and you familiarize yourself with them. So that was so the, my best, my first piece of advice is observe it. See, you might think you wanna do it, but actually sitting in there, right, may change your mind. So see, watch the process, learn as much as you can by just observing. And then once you have that down, I would see if you somebody's I would ask like maybe shadow a lobbyist and see what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. That would be as two pieces of advice, but that's what I would suggest. That's a very good suggestion you had as to following others, mm -hmm. other lobbyists. That would probably get you an insight as to what their daily job gets and entails, right? Now let's move on. So let's say once you got your law degree, then you said you became a prosecutor. So how did you, how did you get that position? And then can you briefly explain what that job was all about? So I got that position because it was in the same town where I went to college. And uh, so I knew people there and I wanted, the reason why I chose a prosecutor's office because I kind of wanted flexibility. And I knew in there, while you just, it's an opportunity to go to court a lot because there's a lot of cases, right? And uh, so you have a chance to kind of hone craft. And so everybody said, that's a good place to start. So that's why I want to start there. So my duties, they sit you down, they give you an office, and they say, here are 300 files, right? And there are probably 300 files that somebody else in the office didn't want, and because you knew you inherited them, and you kind of have to learn by fire. You read the files, and you see what you can do. Like, some of them are easy. You say, okay, I can dismiss this. There's nothing here. Some of them require a lot more investigation. And you, and you have to learn those things. And you also learn that the lawyers on the other side, the, be they be their public defenders, just regular criminal defense lawyers, they're gonna see the new guy and they're gonna say, okay, give my client one day for this crime, right? Like they're gonna to try to take advantage of the new guy too. And you, and you learn who you can trust, who you might not be able to trust right away. And, and I just, and it's fast paced and I, I did enjoy my time there. So after that, you passed your bar exam, 
and then you got your position at the legal counsel at the South Carolina Association of Justice. So how did you get that position and what is your, in general, what is your job involved? Okay, so that was actually pretty funny. So I was, like I said, I was a prosecutor and just going about my day-to-day -day life and they actually called because again, I had, a, I had an aunt that was in the state house and you know, she knew people. They had actually had bills in front of her before. And like I said, when I was in law school, I would tell people I wanted to be a lobbyist without really having much of an idea other than sitting at her desk what that meant. And so they kind of put all those things together, like, well, he's in Spartanburg. He has a chance for him to come back to Columbia. Let's call him and see if he wants to do it. And so they called me. They said, we're here. We have a position coming up. Their, their lobbyists had just left for something else. And they were like, we think you'd be a good fit. And so I said, well, you know, I said I've always wanted to do this. And, and so let's, let's give it a shot. And so I just jumped at the chance. And it was, it was a good fit. Do you, I mean, do they look for a law degree for someone who gets into this position? So it doesn't hurt, but no, it's not a prerequisite either. There's There are a lot of very, very successful lobbyists that don't have law degrees. So I would say the biggest thing is relationship building. That's, that is, that is the, the biggest key because it doesn't matter how good your argument is, if nobody likes you and won't let you in their office to hear your argument, then you're dead in the water anyway. So while a law degree helps, it's, it's not a prerequisite. For, for your position, I meant, do you, do you require My specific position, I'm legislative counsel. So yes, like I, they would not, I, you do have to be a lawyer to have my specific position, but just a lobbyist in general, no. Got it. So you basically fit the criteria of having a law degree and also you had a passion to be a lobbyist. So that's right. why they said they wanted to. Okay, it makes sense. So I know like you've been there for like about 15 years now, am I right? So let's break that down into maybe five-year chunks. So okay. maybe even three, five-year chunks. Maybe the first five years, what was the biggest challenge or project you worked on, which you are very proud of? All right, so my first five years, like I said before, I would say it was more learning the process. And so every, our biggest issue is beating back something called tort reform. And so that's coming, it's come every year I've been here. So it's come, so my first five years was learning the process, and learning the ins and outs tort reform and what each specific section meant. Because I have, and most people have a very narrow interaction with the law. They know like if they're criminal defense lawyers, they know criminal laws. If they're torts and negligence lawyers, they know tort laws, but they, in this job, I had to kind of learn the whole scope of what people wanted to change, be it the seatbelt law, be it products liability law. So you kind of have to have a crash course in all of it. So it's almost like going back to law school. You have to get a general overview of, every, of many different sections and why people want to change them and why it's a, maybe a good idea to change them or why it may not be a good idea to change them. So that was probably my first five years was learning the process and learning our individual issues so that I can be conversant on anything, because you never know who's gonna pull you aside and wanna talk about what. So learning that second chunk of five years was more, I would say, building relationship. Once I understood the process, kind of building relationships with key figures so that they would trust me and trust when I told them something and knew that I, you know, showing that I knew what I was talking about and what I was saying was right. And then the last five years, I would say, was kind of tailor, tailoring our internal system to fit my preferences. So now that I've been here for a while, when you got when I got here, I kind of inherited somebody else's lobbying, what they've done, their system of tracking bills, their system of forming our membership, 
And so now that I'm, you know, I have the relationships, I know what's going on now, which is why I work with your group. Now it's kind of getting everything out in a manner that I wanted to, to get out so that our membership stays informed because they are the experts. They're in the courtroom every day fighting these fights at the ground level. It's not theory, kind of like what it is where I deal with it. Everybody theorizes what a good change would be to the law, but they have to actually, they reap the, the benefit or the harm of it, right? And they represent people that are going to reap the benefit or the harm of it. So it's my job to keep them informed. And it's, and it's because what I think something may be innocuous, even with 15 years of experience, they're going to have that one case where it's life or death to their client. And so I have to get information out to them and have it be where they can get back to me quickly, right? Because it's a fluid process and it moves at the speed of light. You never know. It may be a text message before somebody walks in a meeting that may have a bill, live or die. And so that is, that is really where I am now is building that process and getting it to where it's tailor fit to what I feel like is going to be best for our association. And that's why you've been so helpful. Thank you so much for the kind words. So at the very highest level, could you, let's say if I'm a layman, right? Can you tell me what is your organization all about? Maybe at the highest level, if you, if you had to explain it to someone who has no, absolutely no idea. So what we, what we do is we want court system, the justice system in South Carolina, we want it to be open for everybody, right? We want, no matter what your station is like, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're black, white, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. We want anybody to be able to walk into a courthouse and seek justice. And that sounds so simple and it sounds so easy. However, there are people and there are segments and some of them, it doesn't come from a mean-spirited place, which is, which is what I try to tell people. There's some of them who we are friends, who we just disagree with on the outcomes. But what they, would, what they would propose would make it harder for people to get justice in a court of law. And so what we do is we say, no, we know this sounds like a good change. We know it sounds like an easy change. But what it would really do in practice, close the door of the courthouse to, 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 a, to somebody who doesn't have means or somebody who doesn't have access. And so that's just at our, at our fundamental level, that's what we do. We, are, we want access to justice for everybody. And an equal opportunity for everybody is, is what we see. So your members are, are attorneys? Our members are attorneys. And they range in practice from your average consumer real estate person to your your person who does car wrecks, to your person who does criminal defense, who does divorce. Like we, we have workers' compensation. Our membership runs the entire legal gamut. So, okay. So also, it also keeps busy. I understand. So, so if someone becomes a member, an attorney becomes a member, you guys are representing the attorney at the SC State House. Is that right? Yes. And now that's been another change of ours, a, a policy of our association long ago in the past would be that we would bring, so if there was a, we bring victims of these terrible accidents to the state house and say, look how, look how hurt this person is. This, this is tragic and it is, right? You don't want to pass a law that's going to make it harder for this person who's already injured to be made whole. And what we found was you know, it is awful and it's tragic and it's, it's just bad. There's, there's, there's no winners there, but it's easy to say, it's easy to excuse it as that one person, as that one, you know, as a, as a one-off incident. So now what we try to do is we recognize that our members are experts in their, in their particular field because they're doing it every day. 
they don't have just a one client that we can bring to the state house. They have 50, right? So if we bring a lawyer there, they can talk about all 50 of those cases. When the legislator who doesn't agree with me at the time says, well, that's just anecdotal. The lawyer can say, no, sir, I've got 14 of these cases, right? This is a national trend that's going on. This, this, this gas container explodes and it's killed. It may have only killed five people in South Carolina, but it killed 3,500 people nationwide. And they're able to talk about those things in detail, even more detail than I can get into because they live it every day. And so that's kind of the change we've made as an association is to, instead of bringing the victims, we bring the lawyers now who are experts in their field. Oh, that's, that's a very good uh, point you bring up. I've also noticed on your site that you guys have a lot of involvement with a lot of campaigns, like one of the ones which I saw, Distracted Driving Campaign. So can you tell us, like, give, maybe explain what that is all about and maybe some other stuff which you guys are working on currently? So our Indistracted Driving Campaign is we want to, we've, you know, studies have found obviously texting and driving is terrible and it's, it leads to car accidents and just, you know, catastrophic injuries and it affects younger people, right? Because it's your teenagers, it's your new-ish drivers that are, you know, you're young, you're invincible, so you're texting your friend, you're on your way and you're speeding down. So we, we started, we got with a national group to kind of have lawyers again who are the ones who have to who handle these car wreck cases and these catastrophic injury cases and so they go to school and they say and there we have a speech ready to go and they can give the speech or they can tailor it to their own specific use they go and they try to educate teenagers about the harms of distracted driving why you shouldn't you know being a mcdonald's burger and blasting your music and texting your friend get to where you're going stay safe and then you can do all the other little things so that's just one of our campaigns and it's one of many we did uh, we used to do toys for tots where we collected toys for underprivileged kids around the holidays we've done tide drives so the kids help unfortunate kids when they go on their first interviews they can have ties and you know they're, they're, it's a program where they go in and teach a kid how to tie a tie help them get a suit so we, we collected ties for that and just it's just a way of giving back because, you know, like I said, our people, our membership work with people who are often, they find them at their lowest point, right? Right after a loved one's been hurt or they've lost a job, something catastrophic has happened to them. Then you turn to a lawyer. People don't ever go to a lawyer in good times, right? When everything's going well. So our members are uniquely situated to say, okay, here is somebody in the community that needs help. Here's a group of people that need help. We know, we know this person has suffered a catastrophic harm. Okay. So perhaps tell us what in a day's worth of work, like, can you tell us like on a day-to-day -day basis, can you tell us, walk us through, okay, this is what I do from time to time. What do you guys do? It's, yeah. So it's kind of boring. <laughs> so my year is divided in half. So the legislature here in South Carolina comes in in January and they leave in May. And so on during that half of the year, I call that it's our busy season. And so the legislature from January to May, they're at the state house every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so on those days, I'm up. If they're there, I'm there, right? And then you can have longer days because after the nine to five, let's say, there's probably receptions that night that you probably want to go to and just shore up people you've spoken to during the day or to create those relationships, right? You know, there's also breakfasts, there's lunches, so there's, there's, there's a bunch of different things that you can go to. But my day, honestly, consists of sitting in meeting. Like, that's what it is. Like, there's every, most bills have a subcommittee hearing. 
that you need to go to. And there's a full committee hearing. There's a lot of sitting in meetings, a lot of editing documents. So if somebody has an idea for how a bill should change, so they write down a piece of paper, you look at it compared to what it used to be. So it's, it's one of these things that sounds like it's gonna be fancy and fun, but it's a lot of sitting in meetings, a lot of waiting in hallways for people, sitting in meetings, text messaging. That's, that's my day, that's my life. And then, so that's the, probably the May to June when they're in session. And then from June to December, sorry, January to May when they're in session, then June to December when they're in, we call that our off season. And so in election years, it's going around and meeting people who are running for the state house and kind of talking to them because you never know who's going to win. So you have to go meet with everybody and be nice to everybody and be friendly to everybody. So it's a lot of shaking hands and nice to meet you. Hope to see you up there introducing yourself, creating those relationships again. And it's a lot of educating yourself on national trends. Okay. This, what, cause what we like to say, what's happening in Georgia is coming to South Carolina next. So it's a lot of talking to Georgia, going down there. What did y'all see? What are you seeing? What are the trends in the Southeast? What are the trends nationwide? Kind of getting a feel for those. And it's a lot of, okay, what has happened? What do we need to change? Like, what can we be perspective about? Is there, is there a really bad law out there that's, that's really hurting people that we need changed immediately? So it's a lot of gathering information and getting ready for sessions. So those are kind of how my year breaks down. Okay. Now that is what your current job entails. So let's look towards what we have seen in the past, we have seen the current. Can you tell us what is the current state of politics in South Carolina and what do you feel things would change in the future direction? Can you explain that? So politics in South Carolina, on the surface, they are hyper-partisan like the rest of the country, right? It's, it's a red state, very Republican state. But I would say the beauty part of South Carolina is that the people in power truly care. If you can make an argument and say, this is harmful, this is bad, they will listen. Like I will, except when I meet with my national group, it sounds different, but I will say that South Carolina is fortunate that the people in position of power are statesmen and they care about the state of South Carolina. Do they always do the right thing? No, is, are their hearts always in the right place? I would say 90% of the time I'd say yes. 90% of the time I'd say their hearts are genuinely in the right place. Even if they, even if the result isn't what you want, it wasn't just because they were out to harm or didn't like a certain group of people. It was, they just felt whatever avenue they took, it was because they thought it was the right thing to do. And I think that is great. And I think we may be unique in that situation where people still care. It's not all about politics. It's not all about who's in the White House or who's not in the White House, who's running for the White House, I think. South Carolina is uniquely situated in that there, there are still true statesmen left in the state. And do you, how do you see politics shaping up in the future? Like, um, if I, if I knew that, I'd be a lot wealthier. I think <laughs> it's going to be interesting, and I am looking forward to it. But because uh, there's passion on both sides, right? There's passion in the Republican camp. There's passion in the Democratic camp. It's just going to be who can turn that passion into votes. In November, and that's that's going to be who who wins the day. But I have no clue who's going to do it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. So let's talk a little bit about yourself. I mean, in the future, how do you see yourself playing a part in whatever your job you are doing, or do you see in five, ten years down the road, where do you want to see yourself? Um, so I really love what I do. Honestly, I have, we have a good team. We have 
four or five contract lobbyists. There's another person I work with who's also in-house here. And we, we are very fortunate. We all get along really well. We can share ideas and we can disagree and we can come up with the best course of action. I'm, I'm a big believer in it takes diverging opinions to come up with. The, there's no monopoly on a good idea, right? Nobody knows it all. So it, you have to have these vigorous debates and we have that here. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. The next five years, where do I see myself? I still think, hopefully, moving the needle forward. Right? I think there's there's a lot we can do. There's a lot I would like to do. I'd like to push, and you know, we're getting to a point where we might be able to push some of that in the future. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that comes to fruition, honestly. Okay, I think that's pretty much the set of questions I had. Can you you can take a few minutes just to talk either about yourself or your organization? Anything which you think I haven't covered, you want to touch base? Just to all up on you. Okay, well, I'll just say a little bit more about what the South Carolina Association for Justice does. I mean, it's, we also have an educational function where we provide what's called continuing legal education hours for lawyers. And so that's another great function of what we do. So we have two big conventions every year. One, kind of during this time, obviously with COVID, it's changed a lot. But uh, it's our annual convention. Normally we have in Hilton Head and we invite lawyers from around the state, judges and people come together and kind of share ideas, best practices. And it's a good time for camaraderie. We have another one in Atlanta in around Christmas time called Auditors. And it's more specific to different types of cases. So either if there's a big product liability case or you know there's a big change to the way car wrecks are handled, that's, we kind of deal with that there. And it's over a day and a half, Buckhead, Atlanta, it's, it's nice. Good, another good time to get together around the holidays. So those are our, kind of our two big educational components. And then we've just started one for kind of younger lawyers and uh, to reaching out to them because I will say, I'll tell people, law school is great for learning, but it doesn't really teach you how to be a lawyer. So we offer a course in, okay, you graduated from law school, now what, right? Like you're back home, you got a hanger shingle, now what? How do you handle that wrecking? How do you handle it when your buddy calls and says, hey, I got pulled over last week and I need you to fight this case for me. I got a speed ticket. I need you to get rid of it for me, right? And uh, so we kind of handle that aspect of it. So we're trying to get our association in a position where when people say, why do you want to join? We, we can say, we take care of you from the time you walk out of the doors of law school to the time you're ready to hang up your shingle as an experienced lawyer after 50 years. So we kind of, we, we want to be there with you hand in hand, step in step the entire way. Okay. And do you, does your organization hire any interns? No, we used to, we've had like one or two, but uh, it's not something we do very often. If we get, like I said, we fight, we have a tort reform fight that rears its head every four or five years. So if we get bogged down with something like that, we may hire an intern or two just to make sure nothing, no paperwork, anything gets, gets in the fall through the cracks. But normally we, we have been doing it so long. It's kind of a well-run ship at this point. Everybody knows kind of their role and what they, can and can't do so okay and the education component which you just talked about if let's say if someone's hearing this if they wanted to get more information about it where do they need to go oh definitely we have a website scaj.com and click on there's a tab for continuing legal education click on the seminars and they're they're very i highly recommend them they're, there's a lot of good information there okay great so let's move on to the rapid fire section these are just general five questions which i just made up so Whenever you're ready, we can fire away. All right, let's go. All right. What are the three skills you think are essential for someone to become a good lobbyist? Become a 
Uh, number one is relationship building. You have people have to like it. You have to be friendly. You know, you try because you, you're treading on a lot of rumors, right? A lot of it's rumored in you and this. So you want people to talk to, feel like they can talk to you, they can trust you. So that's number one is relationship building. Number two, I'd say you'd have to have, I don't know, reading with understanding. Like it's a lot of reading, sometimes arcane bills, sometimes it's arcane rules. So being able to kind of read and kind of ascertain information is always, is, is a good asset in anything, but especially in lobbying. And number three is patience. It's my day is hurry up and wait. You can't get frustrated. You can't get upset. The meetings aren't going to start on time. You're not going to end on time. You're not going to have the nobody rings the bell at five o'clock and let you go home. So you have to have patience. So those are, those are three biggest things I would recommend. Okay, great. A side note. So what would you be if you weren't a lobbyist? Oh, easy. If I, I was not a lobbyist, I would be a high school basketball coach. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the things I do inside. I love it. Uh, I love working with young people. I love, obviously, like I said, I played basketball in college. I love the game of basketball. I think it teaches you many life lessons about how to be a good person, how to be a good teammate, trust. So uh, yeah, that's what I would do. I'd, I'd love to be a high school basketball coach somewhere. Like a high school basketball coach and history teacher, you know, that, that's, that's my dream gig. That's cool. Any favorite basketball player? Oh yeah, my favorite basketball player right now is definitely LeBron James. Just what he does is, is Ridiculous without a word, but uh, another young kid who I've had the fortune of uh, watching since he was in ninth grade is uh, Zion Williamson, who went to Duke. He's from Spartanburg, where I went to school, and uh, so he started out as just this rumor, like, "Hey, there's this kid who's just freakishly athletic, Spartanburg, and you got to come see him." And then you know, every year, the rumor got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then he went to then you know, the YouTube videos of him dunking, and then he went to Duke, and then it exploded from there. So it's been just fun to watch him kind of grow up. And, and he actually, another funny story, the school he played for in Spartanburg, one of our members' sons played with him. So just to see, have that kind of personal connection to him, and, and, and it just so happens that his school is in the same league as the school I coach in. So it's just, so a lot of, a lot of, connections there. So that's just been one, another kid that I have a little personal interest in seeing him develop and grow over the next couple of years. And my, my young son loves him to death. So, <laughs> so I have no <laughs> option. So. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a funny story for you for LeBron James as well. I'll tell you after the podcast. So the third question I have for you is what is your favorite book? Oh man, my favorite book right now is, uh, or I don't know about my favorite, the one I'm listening to that I that I actually come back to most summers is uh oddly enough how to make friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. And it was written in like the 1940s or 30s and it's and it's basic. It's basic, basic stuff about basically be nice, thank people, don't yell at people when they make mistakes. But I find it's always good to kind of go back and just I pick up something new every time I, I listen to it on tape. Every time I listen to it, I pick up something new about you know how you should treat people. What you should you deal when you're faced with a tough situation you you present an idea somebody's going to present a counter idea and there's only it can, it can only go one way and, and you're going to want to blow up with people and you, know, you hate such and such and you just want to and so i have to calm that instinct in myself and uh, i find that book is a good way to to it just it centers me it helps me bring me back and say okay you catch more flies than honey basically be nice it's helpful mm-hmm. Okay. And do you have any role models in life? Oh yeah. Uh, it's my father again is, uh, 
probably my biggest role model and cheerleader in my life, just to watch him. He's had a very unique career. Like I said, he put 20 years in the military, retired as Lieutenant Colonel, which for most people would be enough for a lifetime. They drift off into retirement, but he did not. He said, you know what? I've always dreamed about being a lawyer. So after 20 years in the military, he went to law school. And he had a successful legal career, still does. And then he said, you know what? He's like, I've always had a call to be a pastor. So he went, he studied theology in his spare time and he wasn't practicing law. Now he's a pastor of a church. And so he just decided, you know, like, I've had this call to serve. So he ran and said he's been on city council in his hometown for the past 10 years. And now he's running for mayor. So just kind of watching him always be willing to evolve and say, you know what? It's, ne I'm, it's never good enough. I can always be a little bit better. Been just an inspiration. He's always been an inspiration to me, but uh, just watching him do that has been great. So he's definitely one of my biggest role models. Truly inspiring. And finally, what motivates you on a daily basis to be a lobbyist? What motivates me not just to be a lobbyist but in life is, like I said, my dad's my role model. So like I wake up and I, I just say to myself, you know, if I can get to about 75 to 80% of what he is, I've done pretty good. Now that I'm a father myself. I have a five-year-old and two-year-old. Like that's that's really that's what I try to do. Like I, my life goal is to be eighty percent of what he what he was for me. And if I can do that, I feel like I would have done something. So that that that's my motivation. Like I want to try to provide some some <laughs> measure of inspiration and confidence in them the same way he did for me. And just because it doesn't, I'm sure. You've seen some of this in your own life. It doesn't hit you how hard your parents work for you and the sacrifice they made until you have your own family. It's like I was a military brat. We moved around every three years, but he also made sure we saw the world. Like we spent a year and a half when we lived in Germany just traveling to other places in Europe, to Switzerland, to, uh, to France and England. And just because he wanted us to see the world while we were there, right? He knew it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And uh, you know, so I, I lay awake at night some days. Some days, be like, "How am I going to get my family to Europe and have them experience some of these same things?" Right? Like, so it's uh, but it's it's good. It, it's good to kind of you set the bar so high. And it's good to it's a good thing to worry about. I think so. I agree. That's my motivation. That's great. I think what I feel is like all our experiences, what we've had in the childhood in the past, actually shapes us to who we are right now. Absolutely. And I think you've, I think probably have the true pleasure of having to be under someone who's actually inspiring yourself. So thank you so much, Kenny, for being on the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time. It was really my pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. This is great. All right. Take care, Kenny. Absolutely fun listening to Kenny's story. Hope you enjoyed it too. Thanks for joining me in another episode of State Lobbying Heroes Podcast. Take care until next time.